Brock Lesnar could be coming back to WWE and Triple H is teasing some big plans for after WrestleMania. Find out more by searching Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Everybody, it's Jack from Cultaholic. I am the cheeky boy. You are the cheeky girls. Cheeky, cheeky. I guess we'll talk about some wrestling. The the matches of the month series rolls on. <laughs> I got so depressed there once I realised just what I'd quoted there in the intro. Uh, the matches of the month series rolls on. It's now the May episode, even though we, we are currently in early June. And there's already been some great matches in June as well. But we're going to be talking about all the best matches from May, there's, um, I think, quite a lot of really high-quality matches. It's been a strong month. But also, how much will that have impacted my overall top 10, which we look at at the end of the podcast episode, of course? Because as the year goes on, it'll get harder and harder to crack the top 10, in theory, won't it? Because it'll become a stronger and a stronger top 10 as the year rolls on. So we've got all that to find out and more this Time around. So, without any further ado, let's take a look at my matches of the month. Starting off in AEW. It'll be a Pillars four-way match! We've always prided ourselves in homegrown talent, and you're not going to get any more homegrown than these four guys. Young guys. When I raise the AEW World Championship above my head, my face is going to be all over this company like it should be. I honestly just want to give back. AEW gave so much to me, it's going to be a special night. Who is the future face of not just all elite wrestling, but of professional wrestling as a whole? There's never been greater stakes in the history of our great sport. And this match is a battle for the future of AEW. When I become the AEW World Champion. The reason we're starting off in AEW is, of course, because we had Double or Nothing, which was um, an event that I think maybe exceeded expectations going in. It didn't feel like many people were that excited about it, and it was an okay show. I wouldn't say it was one of AEW's best ever pay-per-views or anything like that, but I'd say that it, it, it certainly wasn't the disaster that many had predicted it to be. A lot of the reason, or a big reason behind people not being too excited about Double or Nothing was, of course, the title match, the AW World title match. MJF defending against Darby Allin, Sammy Guevara, and Jungle Boy, which is the first match I want to talk about this week because I really enjoyed it, despite the lack of momentum going in because this didn't have a good build. Uh, there was a lot of criticism. It wasn't being received well. It maybe also exposed AEW's lack of building its own stars since, you know, well, even since they hired some big ex-WWE names like Punk, Danielson, Adam Cole, etc., uh, obviously, all of those guys aren't just former WWE stars. They've got their own indie legacies as well, but they are bigger names than they once were, in part because of their time in WWE, of course. Now, it could be argued that bringing these guys in all at a similar sort of time and focusing the booking on them and then certain situations outside of the ring, like the all-out, the brawl-out situation, has maybe taken attention away from the AW quote-unquote originals like the other three challenges in this match. Jungle Boy, well, I should call him Jack Perry, I guess. Jack Perry, Sammy Guevara, and Darby Allin. It maybe has stalled their momentum a little bit and taken that spotlight away. I think the build also perhaps exposed the fact that MJF is just leagues ahead of the other three on the microphone. And while we all 
admire MJF's promo ability and how hilarious he can be and how often, how scathing he can be. It's always, you know, it's always, um, there's always a highlight, whether it's a good or a bad one. Um, I think it's important to remember sometimes that the best promos in wrestling or the best guys are cutting promos, guys and girls are cutting promos in wrestling, don't just make themselves look good. They elevate their opponent as well. That's where the real skill comes in. That's why even though MJF is unquestionably great on the mic, I don't know yet if he's demonstrated that he's able to build up his opponents. He, he seems to be quite... I mean, he's great at getting himself over, which is always a useful skill in wrestling. But is he great? Yes, he can do it when he wants to because he, he helped build that feud with CM Punk, didn't he? So he can do it. He just doesn't that often. Not in this feud as well. With all that being said, I thought the match really delivered. I thought we were maybe guilty in the build as well of forgetting the fact that all four men are really talented wrestlers. Um, we all kind of focused on the fact that, oh, you know, the build has exposed them at not being all great on the mic. Only MJF's really great on the mic and all that sort of stuff. But in the ring, you know, they all they all delivered. They all had their chances to shine as well. MJF really healing out. Jungle Boy is kind of arguably the central protagonist of the match, although the crowd seemed to have something to say about that. Darby had a... Had, actually, maybe Darby was the central protagonist, really. He had chances to shine. He, of course, took the pinfall at the end. And uh, Sammy had that moment. Congratulations to him and Ty Conti, or Ty Mello, by the way. But he also had his um, his moment where MJF was on the mic and trying to convince him to lay down. He'll pay him off and everything. I thought it all worked. It also worked because it had a very varied feel as well throughout the match. Like, there's roll-up sequences. There was submission sequences. There were high spots. There was the chaining together of signature moves. There was the verbal exchange, as I mentioned, between MJF and Sammy. I just think, yeah, it was a great match, and they really deserved it, and they deserved the positive reception that it got that it got coming out of the show. Especially because there were reports, of course, that they'd stayed up late, uh, like the night before or the night before that, like practicing, rehearsing the match late into the night, which you don't hear those sort of stories too often unless it's like Logan Paul training with Shawn Michaels or... I mean, the one that gets cited the most is WrestleMania 3, isn't it? Steamboat and Savage rehearsed that match to death, apparently. But it was cool hearing about four modern wrestlers thinking, no, we're going to rehearse this to make sure we nail it. Because obviously, like, the attitude seems to be the cool thing to do is to call it in the ring, brother, and, like, be able to improvise and stuff. But this is another way of ensuring that you have, you know, you maximize your potential going into a match. And I think it was really good. It was certainly one of the one of the more entertaining matches of the month, certainly multi-man as well. Uh, the other big talking point or the other big match on that show that captured the most attention was, of course, Anarchy in the Arena. And this thing is just wild, and now... Hold on a minute here. He's got, oh, he's got a black... He's got a BCC shirt on! Yeah, the lead singer there with a final idol. She's going to get... Wow! Oh! Oh, he's not singing anymore tonight. Super kick party! That's Kenny Omega using a piece of the announce desk to bludgeon Moxley. And that's the Young Bucks flying off the ramp. All right, well, good God, what are we witnessing? Yeah, the Blackpool Combat Club versus the Elite. Um, it was certainly fun. Now, first things first, I don't know if I necessarily enjoyed it as much as the original Anarchy in the Arena match. And do let me know what you think, because some people, I think the majority of people seem to prefer the first one. But this was still a well-received match as well. It still retained that anarchic feel, obviously, anarchy in the arena. And I enjoyed some of the choices made here. I really enjoyed the fact, for example, that Wheeler Utah 
sort of became the key man for the Blackpool Combat Club down the stretch, and he got the pinfall as well, uh, despite, you know, him having more established, more famous stablemates and, and more established opponents as well. So you had, like, Wheeler doing the crucial stuff in the ring, but then you had Moxley and Omega slamming each other into barbed wire on the big poker chip as part of the set. You had the Young Bucks doing all of their Young Bucks things. Of course, the exploding super kick, which really stole the show. But despite all of that going on and all of these shenanigans and all these fireworks, uh, the match still managed to serve a purpose in terms of elevating a lower star on the card, Wheeler Yuta. So, yeah, I thought that was a really good decision. Of course, Yuta was only one of the key men in in his stable's victory because the other one was not even really a member of the stable. It's the recently turned Konosuke Takeshita. This was his heel turn alongside, of course, Don Callis, who'd already turned heel in the cage match, turning on Kenny Omega. The impact of this turn or this run-in was kind of diminished for me because I'd heard a lot of speculation in the build-up that this was going to happen. I wonder if it was the same for you. I'd seen it mentioned a lot on social media and especially in the office. A lot of, for some reason, a lot of my colleagues seem seem to sort of know this would happen. I don't know. I never really would have predicted it. I don't know. I'm just being stupid <laughs> until one of them said to me, and I can't remember who it was, but someone said, yeah, yeah, Takeshi will interfere and then the BCC will win and it'll set up Kota Ibushi joining the elite and that'll lead to blood and guts. And now I have to agree with my colleagues. I think that is what's going to happen, especially given that tease that the Bucks said. Didn't they say something like, yeah, Kenny, the, the following week, they were like, Kenny's taking the loss hard. He's uh, he's left the country, but he's not in Canada. So he's not gone home. Where's he gone? He's gone to Japan, let's be honest. <laughs> he's gone to find Coda. And I'm in favor of all that. I think that's really dramatic and really good. Keeps things big and explosive on the dynamite side of things. Whereas when Collision comes along, everyone's going to be like, ooh, what's going on on Collision? So it's important that the other half of the company, the dynamite side of things, keeps taking over as well. And this is the perfect way to do it. I think it could be a really, really good feud when it's, when it's all said and done. Possibly a feud of the year contender. You could argue, maybe, that the finish felt like a bit of a cheap way of ending a pay-per-view on a big turn and a big plot twist rather than a more decisive conclusion. But sometimes storylines mean that this is the necessary sort of ending that you get to close a pay-per-view. And I think we can excuse that here. I enjoyed it. I think it was a great match. I think on balance, though, I think I preferred the title match, the four-way, just out of the two. It wasn't the only good thing of the night. I also enjoyed... Not Maybe not so much... They were perfectly fine matches, but I enjoyed the storyline of Chris Statlander's return being the one to dethrone Jade Cargill, but Jade is still protected somewhat because she was tired having just had a match already. Um, I enjoyed... Oh! It was actually one of the matches of the night, wasn't it? Maybe not on the same level as the one as the two I've just mentioned, but as a pantomime, silly spectacle, I really did enjoy FTR. Really, really did enjoy FTR versus Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal and all of the minions as well. Um... With Mark Briscoe, a special guest referee, who did a great job in his role. Yeah. Jeff Jarrett, man. <laughs> he's just, he's got it. He knows what he's doing. We should have learned that by now. We should know that he can do this about 30 years into his career or more. The bit where he hit, I think it was Dax Harwood with the title belt, and then hit his finisher and then celebrated ahead of time before making the pinfall attempt. And then his reaction when it got kicked out of. Superb. It was silly. It wasn't your typical FTR match, but you could tell everyone had a blast doing the match. Aubrey Edwards getting hit with a guitar by Karen Jarrett. Yeah, everything paid off. And it wasn't like a work rate classic or anything, but it was one of my favorite matches of the night. Oh, it was really, really fun. Really fun. Now we're going to cross the Great Divide and we're going to head to WWE. From the banks of the Red Sea, the cradle of civilization, we welcome you to a night that can shape the future direction of WWE. 
you are looking live in the Jeddah Superdome in Jeddah, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. A capacity crowd expected, where tonight we celebrate with three main events at WWE Night of Champions. Hey, brother, there's an endless road to rediscover. Yeah, we're going to be talking about Night of Champions, which was also a good show. This was a busy weekend of wrestling and a busy weekend of good wrestling as well on the last weekend of May. The first match I have to talk about, of course, was the main event. The undisputed tag team title match, Owens and Zayn defending against Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa. Or just Solo, is he now? I'm not certain at the time of recording. Although, to be fair, actually, the match I was going to compare it to isn't a Roman match at all. I was going to say the match that it's most easy to compare this bout to. It's probably the main event of WrestleMania Night 1, Owens and Zayn versus The Usos. But then as a point of contrast, which I guess kind of enforces my point, that felt like a mixture of storyline and action. Whereas this match kind of felt like some of the action was sacrificed for the storytelling, for the melodrama. And I think personally, I just about preferred the balance of the WrestleMania match to this one. But it was still entertaining in its own unique way. While it was a good match, I don't know if it was one of the very best matches of the month, partly because it's been a really stacked month in terms of match quality, as I mentioned in the intro, but also because a lot of this match was just ramping up the tension but didn't make for especially compelling viewing in the moment. A lot of beating down of the baby faces before we got the good stuff right at the end of the bout, which wasn't a short match either. And while I do understand that sometimes that's a formula that really builds tension and so on, it did feel very long here, kind of like a Roman Reigns singles match, as I alluded to before, in tag team form, I guess. One big positive, though, that helped push it through these slower moments towards this big conclusion was the crowd. Have to give a shout out to the crowd. And I think regardless of what you feel about, you know, WWE's deal with Saudi Arabia, given, you know, their government's human rights record and all of the controversy that's happened, uh, that's all been brought up because of WWE's deal with the country, that's not the people's fault, is it? It's not the people who live there's fault. And they were excellent it was a wonderful crowd. Yeah, I, they elevated this match a lot. Full credit to Sami Zayn for being that babyface that everybody wanted him to be for years and years and years and just doing it and just owning it and being the hero. Uh, Kevin Owens for backing him up as well. And then on the other side of things, the Usos and Roman and Solo, the bloodline all falling apart. Jimmy super kicking Roman. What a moment that was. I was kind of surprised that he was the one to turn, actually. I thought it would be Jay because he's always been the more conflicted one, but then he's fallen back in line and Jimmy's been the one getting bullied, like pushed around by Roman recently. So I guess it does make sense. The storyline continues. It's been really, really good. Roman's selling of the betrayal of Jimmy was excellent. He just looked dazed, looking up at Sammy holding those two tag belts. Awesome stuff. A great visual. 
I think this can go in multiple fascinating directions that leads to many fascinating matchups. The likely one appears to be Roman and Solo versus the Usos in a big feature tag team match. I wouldn't mind seeing Jimmy versus Jay, though. Although I don't know if that's where we're going. It's going to be interesting to see where it goes. They've got many different avenues they can go here. My one criticism would be that I don't think that the Bloodline need the belt to be able to do these kind of storylines. I don't think Roman needs to be the champion for this to happen. In fact, I would argue that maybe this storyline would have been more effective if Roman wasn't the champion and he's losing his grip on his stable. Because otherwise they're falling apart without much reason to. Now they're falling, just Roman's just decided to be more of a dick recently. I guess you could argue he's been even more egotistical because he's still the champion. But on the other side of things, I think it would be a far more compelling tale if Roman was no longer the champion and was still trying to be the big man and suddenly the Usos were like, mm, not so sure about you anymore, mate. I think that would have been a more natural way to go. Also, I'm really biased because I think fully the Cody should have won still and I disagree with the very concept of this new World Heavyweight Championship. Um, but do let me know what you think. It's, it's, a, it's a complex booking situation and one which will throw up a whole range of opinions and I'm open to hearing them all. This match, though, was cool. Uh, in terms of the execution of the turn and everything, spot on. I thought it was great. Um, another highlight of the night, though, and a bit of a sleeper hit for me, maybe my match of the night. Because, you know, the, the Jimmy turn was like a big moment, the biggest moment of the night. But I think the best match of the night was the IC title match. Gunter continues to be one of the best things in WWE right now, defending against Mustafa Ali. I saw a few people saying that AJ versus Seth was actually their match of the night which to me confused me a little bit because I thought down the stretch it lost its way a little bit and I thought that, well, there was speculation going on that AJ might have been banged up. I don't know if that's true or not, um, but it certainly seemed to be a bit of an underpart effort from two very talented guys, which still seemed better than most matches, to be fair. It just goes to show how good Seth and Styles both are. I think I had higher expectations going in, which feels unfair, but it is Rollins versus Styles, so I think I can be forgiven for expecting the world because they're, so, they're both so good. Especially at his age, Stars. I think he's 45 now. Crazy stuff. Really, he's one of the best of all time, isn't he? This match, Gunter versus Ali, really surpassed my expectations massively. I know that both guys are amazing wrestlers, but it was more the context that I found surprising because I, I know that they could put on, if, if these two guys, for example, were in the main event of an NXT takeover back during Triple H's reign as, as head of NXT, I'd expect like five stars. If they were main eventing some indie card somewhere, I'd expect five stars. This match, I thought was going to be like a minute long, squash, two minutes, like Gunter just taking it to Ali, battering him. And instead they had a compelling match and they wisely kind of threw all of that comedic heel stuff that Mustafa Ali's been doing recently to, the, to one side and just had him be like a pure plucky underdog babyface. A great decision because the crowd were really behind him. Um, Gunter's an amazing, strong champion dishing out punishment. And I think that Ali is one of, if not the best in WWE currently, at taking punishment, at bumping and selling. He makes his opponents look like absolute monsters, more than they actually even are in Gunter's case, because he already looks like one with some of those chops and stuff that he dishes out. He's, he's so intimidating. But Ali just enhances all of that as well. He's really, really skilled and a real asset to WWE, one that I hope they realize that they've got on their hands. Nothing like amazing or anything, it wasn't like, it wasn't a five-star match in the end, but in the time they were given and the constraints they were under, I still think it was a really, really good match. They really maximized the potential of what this match could be. Um, and I certainly came out of it thinking, you know what? 
I wouldn't complain about this feud being an elongated one. I wouldn't complain about a rematch or even a whole series of matches between these two wrestlers. Long live the Gunter and long live Mustafa Ali. Well done, guys. Long live. Get a bit dramatic there. Let's briefly go back to the beginning of May because there's a certain celebrity wrestler that I want to talk about. So I mentioned the crowd in Saudi Arabia before, but my word, the crowd at Backlash in Puerto Rico was on a different level and the crowd elevated like the whole show. It was, it turned out to be a really enjoyable, thrilling show at points. It was really cool. Um, And a lot of that was down to the crowd. It was, yeah, it was pretty much a great event from start to finish, but the unquestionable highlight in my opinion was Damian Priest versus Bad Bunny who for now has leaped back ahead of Logan Paul in the celebrity wrestler power rankings. But they're both insane. And Bad Bunny here, oh my God, what a performance from him. I don't, the weird thing is, right, going into the event, I don't even think it was that surprising that this match was the best one. It wasn't going to be like a technical masterclass or an ultra serious singles match, but in terms of a no DQ or like a street fight, for what it was, they went in exactly the right direction with it. Big moments, big spots, fairly slowly paced to keep the crowd, to give the crowd time to react to everything and to let everything breathe. But then it's sped up down the stretch with suddenly you've got Carlito running in and, and you know, um, Savio Vega. And it's just the crowd are going crazy for it. One of the best crowd reactions of 2023 by far. It will be when all is said and done. I can't see much surpassing it. Oh, my God, my voice is cracked. I'm, um, I'm just enjoying it that much, thinking about the memories of this match. Um, no, it was awesome. Massive respect as well to Damien Priest. 
Although I feel like there's a new report every week coming out from like Fightful or someone saying like, word internally is that WWE are really impressed with Damian Priest. And I'm like, good. I'm glad he's getting his due because he's so selfless. And, and to get a match like this out of Bad Bunny is incredible. But then also so much credit has to be given to Bad Bunny himself. Holding up his end of the bargain once again. He has a real presence and a real passion for wrestling, clearly. And I think that WWE have really struck gold with him. Because he's like this global megastar who also just happens to be a massive wrestling fan. But also, on top of all that, has the dedication and the desire and no small degree of natural ability as well to turn in performances like this. They have absolutely, as I say, they have struck gold. Uh, just one more WWE match I want to mention as well before we move on to a, a more broad spectrum of things for the rest of this podcast. We're going to Battleground. Oh! Oh! Not even close! Stay down! Like that, look at that. I want you to stay down. You need to stay down. You need to stay down. Torture. That's what this is. Man. It's uncomfortable. It's torture. Now to the top. Looking for nothing but. Able to roll through. Presence of mind. Turn around. Breaker looking for the spear. Found the post instead. Hayes back up. Oh! My God! That's Anvac. New champion. What? Hayes couldn't connect. Can he do it then? In the top. Nothing. Oh. Wow. Into the cover for Carmelo. To NXT Battleground, from also from the last week of May, the same weekend as um, Double or Nothing and a Night of Champions. It was a, yeah, it was a really stacked weekend of wrestling. It was a busy one at work as well. One of the, ma- maybe the match that everyone came out of the weekend talking about. For, for people who watched all three shows, NXT on top of WWE and AW, there was only one match that people were talking about, really, above all others, in terms of its quality, and that was the last man standing match between Ilya Dragunov and Dijak. All kinds of wrestling matches can deliver, given the circumstances heading in and everything. But this was kind of, <laughs> to me, this was kind of the opposite of the four-way match at AW. That match delivered despite the expectations placed upon it. This match didn't really have much... Upon it going in, it was just like, yeah, these two have been battering each other on weekly TV, and they're gonna they're gonna have a, a last man standing match. And then, wow, did they <laughs> did they go above and beyond with this one? It was a simple feud in NXT, but maybe too straightforward to the point where this is why NXT often gets laughed at in its current incarnation because the storylines are almost childlike sometimes. Although this one actually was a bit racy in its content because <laughs> you had DiJack. Doing going all like Fifty Shades of Grey on Dragunov and like tying him up and whipping him because Dragunov wanted to. He's like, I love pain. And Dijak's like, I love dishing out pain. And then let's have a match then when we deal pain to each other. I'm like, okay. Like, <laughs> can we be a bit less? Is there no room for nuance in NXT anymore? But what can I say? It led to a great match. Um, Dijak's had great matches over the years. I think he's got at least one five-star match to his name. Melter five-star match. Obviously, it's just one man's opinion and all that, but he's got one of those under his belt with Keith Lee, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. This match felt more like an Ilya Dragunov match. Dragunov can have... I think he can have two different types of five-star matches, actually. He can have the work-rate type five-star match, which I've seen him do live against Jordan Devlin when Progress came to Newcastle. 
But you can also have this type of five-star match, which we've also seen against Gunter in the empty arena. Well, it was during lockdown, but the, the empty arena match against Gunter in NXT UK, where they just chopped each other loads of times and, and hit each other really hard, and it was excellent. This match had weapons, though, and it was last man standing, so it wasn't quite it wasn't quite on that level of that Gunter match that Dragunov had, but it was in the same ballpark for me. It was an excellent exercise in punishment and pain, but they, they did it really well. Uh, they also laid in a lot of shots, not just strikes with their hands and feet, but with kendo sticks and chairs and stuff as well. It was brutal, but that's what we wanted going in, and that's what we got. And if you like this sort of match, you will like this one, this example of it. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, that is the one match I would most recommend from Battleground. I'd also recommend, I mean, it was a solid, solid show from start to finish. The The opening triple threat was really good between Wesley, uh, Tyler Bate, and Joe Gacy. The uh, the rounds match was interesting between Noam Dar and Dragon Lee. That was probably more entertaining than I thought it would be because I'm not a huge fan of the round system necessarily, but it was good, which I shouldn't have been too surprised at because they're both really good wrestlers. But Oh, yeah, that was the other one. Uh, Tiffany, well, the two title matches, the men's one was cool with um, Bron Breaker and Carmella Hayes. The women's title match was kind of Tiffany Stratton's coronation. It was a cool moment, but she had to really earn it against a talented foe in Lyra Valkyria. Yeah, just a really solid event, but certainly the centerpiece was this last man standing match. So... As I say, if you haven't seen it, that is the one match I would most recommend checking out. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Let's have a look at what this idiot did in America. Oh, it's America time. Challenge something with a screwdriver here. <laughs> Moxley with the screwdriver in hand. They, the Blackpool Combat Club has been using this screwdriver, gouging any and all of their perceived enemies. Wait, but Don Callis, Don's better. He uh, better he's gonna watch his buddy's Don. back. Oh, Mega from behind! That was the opening that Kenny needed. The ripcord feet trigger. Omega, he's gonna do it. This is it! Omega! Yes! Winged! Angel! Kenny did it! One! He turned him! What? What? What the hell did Don Callis do? <laughs> what are you laughing about? He's got a mark on his head, courtesy of the Blackpool Combat Club. What's he doing? Don Callis has told us for years he considers Omega family! First America match we're going to talk about is from AEW again, but I didn't want to mention it when I was talking about all the pay-per-view stuff before because this was a TV match. 
Um, I alluded to it when I talked about Don Callis's turn, though. And if you haven't guessed already, it's the steel cage match between John Moxley and Kenny Omega. It's an interesting one to contrast with Dragunov versus Dijak, which was a very like blunt force match with two men bludgeoning each other with everything they could get their hands on. Whereas this Omega Moxley one was a little bit more bloody and well, a lot more bloody and grisly and like things with sharp edges and things that make you go, oh no, don't do that to him. Um, really got the hatred across between the two. There was barbed wire. There was, they did a wonderful, <laughs> you think he's going to empty thumbtacks out the bag and it's broken glass instead, which, oh, is even worse. Probably. I'm not a wrestler, but I imagine bumping into broken glass is worse than thumbtacks. If you've ever done it, let me know. I haven't and will never. Although once, right? Oh my God. Once when I was at university, I remember stepping backwards out of my little, like, we all had these like little tiny ensuite like sort of showers. And I was stepping backwards out of that into like my, my, my dorm and stepped backwards. And on my notice board, a drawing pen had fallen off onto the floor or a thumbtack, as the Americans say. And it, I stood on it and it went into my heel. And you know what? It didn't hurt. So not really. So I guess because the heel's all tough and stuff. But if it had gone in further up my foot, oh my God, like on the sole or one of my toes, oh my God, that would have been awful. But maybe I have taken a thumbtack bump. Just something to think about, you know? I'm hardcore. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, this match was cool. It was really grisly by design. Um, but I think the moment that really stands out is Omega V triggering Moxley through the side of the cage. I think that really solidified its place as one of the more, I don't know if it's one of my favorite matches of the month, but one of the most memorable matches of the month because it's a really, really great visual. Um, the ending with Don Callis also really worked as well, but maybe maybe having him turn here diminished the effect of him turning in the main event of Double or Nothing. I don't know. The crowd sounded more surprised for this one on TV than they did for the Takeshita one at Double or Nothing. It was still very, very enjoyable, though. We'll see at the end if it makes my top 10, however. One match that won't be making the top 10, but I thought was worth a quick mention because it was just silly fun, was uh, Force Count Anywhere between Jericho and Roddy Strong. Um, unfortunately, it was a more successful match than the actual pay-per-view match it was building towards between Adam Cole and Chris Jericho. You know, I felt bad for, I feel bad for Adam Cole because he's been in for a lot of criticism recently and I don't think it's particularly his fault. I just think the booking hasn't done him any favors. And I also think he is a way more natural heel than he is a baby face, um, which is a shame because I like him. He seems like a great guy from when I've briefly interviewed him once. He was really nice. So it's odd to say that he's a natural heel, isn't it? But he is. And I just feel bad for him because he's in a tricky position at the minute and it seems like AW are really interested in building him up as their top baby face right now and I just don't think that's a role that the fans are going to welcome him in especially not against a popular heel champion like MJF the guy that I think needs to be doing it needs to be the top baby face is Eddie Kingston man and yet he's not in he doesn't seem to be in Tony's plans at all he's just been announced at the time of recording for the G1 climax over in New Japan which I am really excited for because it's Eddie Kingston but at the same time I feel like he's got he's got so much potential in the AW main event scene, which he's just fallen silently away from. Odd. Very, very odd. And a shame. Quick little sippy of water, won't it? next match is from Impact Under Siege in London, Ontario, Canada. 
It was the main event of the show, I believe, as well. Uh, Steve Macklin, an early defense in his reign, which I suspect will go on for quite a while, taking on PCO. Yeah. Why does he still do the stuff he does, PCO? I'll never understand, but it's, my God, it's entertaining to watch. Um, this was silly fun, this match, but also actually sick as well. <laughs> it was it was just this old bloke chucking himself around, as we now know he does, while dressed as Frankenstein's monster. And you've got the heel champion trying to be tough and trying to stand up to this menace, but he's clearly a bit terrified as well, as we all would be. And it was just so entertaining to watch. Um, if you don't know already, Macklin's title reign as Impact World Champion didn't really begin the way it should have because there was an injury to the previous champion, Josh, Josh Alexander, who I think was going to pass the torch to Macklin and he could never do so. But this is still a good defense against a unique challenger for Macklin, the sort of thing that will help his reign even if it hasn't gotten off to the best start. It was, I've written here, an absolute horror movie mess. At one point, yeah, I forgot about that. PCO has his mouth stapled shut by Macklin and then shambles about like Frankenstein's actual monster. So I've made that sound like I think it's real. Like the character, Frankenstein's monster. Um, then pulls the stitches out himself because he's crazy. Um, the aftermath was odd because Macklin kind of helped Bully Ray call out um, Scott Damore and then they put him through a flaming table. So I don't really know what's going on. Like, I... I I get that you want to make Macklin like a heel and stuff, and, the, and affiliating someone with Bully Ray is certainly one way to make them a heel, but also, did he need him? And does it overshadow him, having Bully Ray come out after he's just defended the title and be even more evil and more heelish? Seemed to be a close to the show more about Bully Ray than the actual champion, so that may have been a bit of a misstep for me, but I'll see where it goes. I suspect that they want to position Bully Ray maybe where if they ever want to turn Macklin face... They can have Bully Ray turn on him, and then you've got an easy person for Macklin to be cheered against. Um, but that's just a theory. A chaos theory, you may say, because um, chaos is the next match I want to talk about. Um, this was at New Japan Strong Resurgence in Long Beach, California. The Blackpool Combat Club taking on three members of the chaos faction, um, Okada, Ishii, and Rocky Romero, taking on the three Blackpool Combat Club members, or the two Blackpool Combat Club members, Moxley, um, and was it Claudio and Yuta as well? Um, no, it was Shota Umino, excuse me. It was Yuta, Shota and Moxley. Um, Shota is not really a member of the Blackpool Combat Club, but he was here. And it was just a fun match. Uh, a bit house showy, but also like a high work rate house show match, I guess. Because you had fun showdowns between Moxley and Okada, Moxley and Ishii, Wheeler Yuta and Rocky Romero, Wheeler Yuta and, and Tomohiro Ishii as well. Shota and Okada a lot, actually. Shota was a dick in this match. Just kept charging at Okada, whether or not the match called for it. He was just attacking Okada all the time. And Okada was very dismissive and like, get away from me, you punk rookie. Which is the right way to go, especially because this match really was more of a build towards the match they'd have at Dominion, which happened just the other day, but fell in June. So we'll talk about it probably because it was, it was a really fun match. We'll probably talk about it on next month's episode. But yeah, this was a cool one as well at New Japan Strong Resurgence. Um, and check it out if you want. That's that's the match I would recommend from that show. Now, we're heading to the Far East because there was a tournament called the Best of the Super Juniors. Street Fighter 6 This year's 30th anniversary of the Junior Saiten Mall. 
ついにクライマックス熾烈で過酷な戦いを制し優勝決定戦へ進出したのはこの男たちエルインモルタルティタン A ブロックを6勝3敗で勝ち抜き同ブロック2位でベスト4へ進出準決勝戦では B ブロック1位のエル・デスペラードから勝利し優勝決定戦の舞台へ初めて勝ち上がった対するはウェイトゥーザグランドマスターマスターワト B ブロックを7勝2敗で勝ち抜き同ブロック2位でベスト4へ進出そして A ブロック1位マイク・ベイリーとの準決勝戦で勝利し自身初の優勝決定戦進出を決める必ず俺は夢を叶えます新しい扉を新しい幕を俺が開きます勝てば共に初優勝となるこの戦い不死鳥のごとく舞うメキシコ CMLL のトップルチャドールが夢の栄光をつかみ取るか悲願の初制覇まであと一つ新たな時代への扉を切り開くことはできるのか魂揺さぶジュニア最高峰の戦いがここにベスト・オブ・ザ・スーパージュニアソリー優勝決定戦マスターとバーサスティタン I think the best of the super juniors has been on a bit of a Well, it hasn't quite hit the heights of, say, seven or eight years ago when it was like Osprey and Ricochet and、um, Kushida. And then even a few years more recently when it was like Hiromu Takahashi and Taiji Ishimori tearing each other apart. But it still can be relied upon to deliver great matches, a handful of great matches every year it happens. And I don't think it's the fault of the juniors division in New Japan. I think, excuse me, I think it's just a, more a sign that、um, the whole company has struggled to regain momentum. But I would suggest seems to slowly finally be doing so after a difficult period during the pandemic. Not just because of the, the obvious challenges thrown up by the pandemic, but also because of the,、um, some weird booking missteps. But I think New Japan might be getting back on course. I don't want to speak too soon. Anyway, best of the Super Juniors.、Uh, I've got a few matches just written down here. The first one was from night one. It was Hiromu Takahashi, a man I just mentioned, versus Speedball Mike Bailey. Who is like, if you're going to have a, a juniors tournament and you want an import to bring in who's not a regular in your promotion and you want him to catch the eye, then Mike Bailey's like the perfect person for that. And it was a great choice of a first night main event, definitely.、Uh, I certainly enjoyed it. I think that a few years ago, I thought Takahashi was one of the best in the world. Since then, he's become a little bit more hit and miss for me, but he has had to come back from injuries and that sort of stuff.、Um, 
I think this was a good matchup and one that brought out the better side of Takahashi that reminded me of when I thought he was one of the best in the world. Just because a lot of Takahashi matches, when he tries to have like a heavyweight style match, they, they are sometimes guilty of going too long. They're sometimes guilty of him having like a limb worked over and then not even forgetting to sell it down the stretch, just not being able to because there's such a flurry of activity and counters and running around that you can't sell for that long and still have the ending of the match you want. But for some reason, his matches do often involve his leg being worked over, despite the difficulties it throws up in the final third. Um, this match sidestepped all of that because it was just two flashy men trying to hit each other hard, not grinding each other slowly down. Um, that's the sort of Takashi match I really want to see. And that's the sort of match we got here. And it was great for it. There was some bits, I, well, there was one bit I didn't really like, which is where echoing his, I think, final in Best of the Super Juniors against Taiji Ishimori a while ago, Takashi took Bailey high up into the crowd and it took ages and all it was was just so he could run a long way and then hit a dropkick. Like, that slowed the momentum a little bit for me, but then there were great moments as well. The best one I've written down here was Bailey's insane, oh yeah, I remember that, his insane moonsault where like Takashi's on the outside, Bailey's in the ring, runs to the corner, leaps onto the middle rope and then moonsaults over the ropes out of it backwards like a high jumper. Awesome stuff. Um... That's not what high jumpers do. They don't have the benefit of a turnbuckle, a set of ropes to work with. Um, also, worth mentioning that Speedball won. A bold booking decision, but in these sort of round-robin tournaments, you always are going to get a few surprises. And this was a wise one, I think. This was a good choice of surprise. Moving on. Oh, there wasn't really... I mean, there were great matches all the way through, but there wasn't really a really elite-level match until night eight. Uh, El Desperado versus Francesco Akira, a European talent who's worked in the UK scene a lot. I think he's currently affiliated with the United Empire Osprey Stable, I believe. Have I got that wrong? No, I think he is. Anyway, this was epic stuff. It was a really epic sort of match. Akira has got, I should mention, on top of his European scene experience, he also does have experience. He used to be an all Japan wrestler, but he's still fairly new to the new Japan landscape. This match would have probably have cracked my top 10 bouts of the entire year, but there were one or two things which dragged it down. And if it wasn't for those one or two things, this would have been unbelievable. Um, it was still great, though. I mean, they, there was a spot where there was a pilmanizing of the leg spot where Desperado, like, hit one chair into another chair on, on Francesco Akira's leg. And it was too much for Akira to... Like what I mentioned in the Takahashi sort of stuff, there was too much for him to do down the stretch. He tried his best to sell the leg all the way through, but there's certain moves and sequences where you've just got to forget that and just go for it and be all nimble and athletic. So don't do the, don't do the spot, you know, the chair spot. At least don't do it that early. Also, the very end kind of robbed it of a lot of momentum for me because you had TJP, who's like Akira's ally, and he's like going to throw the towel in and I just I thought that maybe they thought this would add drama in theory to the ending of the match but you already had the drama because Desperado's constantly getting near falls almost getting submissions and this actually slowed the match down and kind of stalled the momentum as I say um, especially because it didn't even lead to the finish so what's the point apart from that I have no other complaints I thought it was a wonderful match El Desperado is awesome so is Akira but in terms of New Japan's roster of regulars, I think Desperado's got to be one of their most valuable guys. There's a compelling story with him, as we'll see in a bit, because he didn't get to the final. And Desperado has fallen short so many times now. He's now the, the, the nearly man of the best of the Super Juniors tournament. So that means that every year, there's now going to be a tension of, is he going to actually do it this year? And we'll wait and see. Because he was my pick going in, and I was wrong again. Um, night number nine. 
Mike Bailey, who we've just talked about, versus Leo Rush. Yes. Yes, boys. Yes, indeed. Um, this was the most successful match of its kind this year. I'll explain what I mean. Like a martial arts choreographed fight scene of a match, basically. This, and it's not for everyone, and I wouldn't certainly, I wouldn't want every single match on a card to be this way, but when it's just, when it crops up here and there, this is the sort of match that I can fully enjoy. The most successful example I can think of ever was also in the best of the Super Juniors, I think, Osprey versus Ricochet, which was crazy. Um, but this match was cool as well. Not on that level, as of the month of May, one of the, well, the yeah, the best match of its kind, which by which I mean choreography heavy, lots of missed strikes and pre-planned quick-fire exchanges, lots of running around and chasing each other in and out of the ring, through the ropes, up top, down below, all that sort of stuff. And even though it's not my favorite, favorite type of match, I really enjoyed it. And, and midway through, I was like, I hope this doesn't settle down into like your typical epic Japanese main event formula, because that would have been really jarring compared to what we'd just seen before. And thankfully, they mostly kept that same energy throughout. So yeah, I thought it was really fun. And uh, finally, the last best of the Super Juniors match I want to mention, and fittingly, the final of the tournament as well, Master Watto versus Titan. I thought... By the semifinals, I thought I had this figured out. I thought it's going to be Desperado versus Speedball Mike Bailey in the final, and Desperado's going to get his big win. And I couldn't have been more wrong because Desperado and Mike Bailey were out in the semifinals, leading to Master Watto versus Titan. Master Watto is a young talent in New Japan. I think they mentioned on commentary that a win here would make him the youngest ever winner, I think, of the best of the Super Juniors. Maybe it was Heather, yeah. He's someone who's been out on excursion, has come back, has found a gimmick for himself, found a character, and hasn't yet been treated as seriously as maybe he should have been, given his skill set. Um, Titan is a Mexican luchador and is so good. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about him. He's so good. Um, on this series, actually, on, on Matches of the Month, I haven't been too complimentary about luchadors this year so far there haven't been many ma matches out of mexico that have impressed me and i thought before starting this series that i'd be picking matches from the states japan britain mexico all over and and mexico's kind of been the one where I've, I've least there's been less matches that i've enjoyed than i thought um however there are very very good wrestlers coming out of mexico and i haven't really meshed with the style of the ones who've been hitting the headlines like commander and aw or El Hijo del Vikingo particularly, but Titan is my guy. Like, I love him. I think that maybe this means I'm a CMLL boy. CMLL boy. Maybe I love that promotion. I don't know. Because um, Titan certainly seems to be a standout from there. Um, amidst many others as well, of course, but I'm a Titan boy. Um, he did really well here, although the crowd really wanted Watto to win, obviously. And they had the story going on of Desperado sat ruefully on guest commentary, having blown another shot at winning this tournament. It was all set up really well. The atmosphere was good going in. And on one hand, you could say that it's just another epic, forced epic of a New Japan tournament final. But I think it worked here unquestionably because of the setup. You had Watto overcoming the odds to become this youngest best of the Super Juniors champion. You had the crowd right behind him. You had a great performance from both men. And it did actually feel... Oftentimes, these matches can not feel epic because it's ramming it down your throat. To me, this one did actually feel nice and epic. And it made me 
come out of it an even bigger of uh, even bigger fan of Titan, excuse me, than I had been previously. What a guy! I wanted him to win, but I understand why they gave it to the home crowd boy, and hopefully he has a very bright future too. But Titan's the 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 dude. I love him. <laughs> So yeah, that was my recap of Best of the Super Juniors. Now on to the final section, Other. みんな、みんな応援してくれたから勝ちました。ありがとうございました。元人生スライディリティを見てください。今は自分のドラマティックドリーム本当にありがとうございました。でもまだまだ終わってない。次 KOD。ムサビツキュー取れますまたまた応援してよろしくもともと頑張りますもともと本日ありがとうございましたそうクリスブルックスの4年間の決勝を明かしというものはこれにもありますyes it's the other section which i often close on where it's just stuff just fun stuff that I've seen. We have more matches from Japan to talk about, but very different from the best of the Super Juniors matches. There's three matches. They're all very different. Listen to me talk about them now. Um, the first one is from my new favorite promotion in the world because I've realized that whenever I mention this promotion in matches of the month, I often go, hang on, that was like one of the best matches ever. Like, I really love them. It's Big Japan. I'm now a big fan of Big Japan, and I've converted two of the lads who sit close to me upstairs, Fraser and Aiden. We are now all Big Japan fans together. They watched a bit of it with me um, when I was preparing for this podcast episode, and even though not all of the matches were, were good, necessarily, a lot of them were messy, deathmatchy brawls that didn't quite work. Still entertaining. Still really enjoyed watching some garbage wrestling, and then interspersed with some really good wrestling as well. The best match I saw from Big Japan's Endless Survivor Infinity Independent event in Yokohama was the title match for the Big Japan World Strong Heavyweight Championship. The champion Yuji Okabayashi versus Yuya Aoki. The story going in is champion versus challenger, trainer versus the man he trained, experience versus youth, a big man versus a slightly smaller but still big man. Um, it was an excellent, excellent match. I've mentioned Yuji Okabayashi, not in a match he had this year, but he was one quarter of one of my favorite matches of 2022, which um, which appeared, I think my write-up of it appeared on the Voices of Wrestling website, because I think I was the, the person who voted it highest, maybe, uh, in my top 10. I think I gave it like third place in my top 10. Um, so yeah, it was a great match. It was it was him and I think Daisuke Sakimoto taking on the t the tag team of Astronauts and they just went for it. Like it was a really, really good match. I would highly recommend it, but that was from last year. 
This year, you've got Yuji Okabayashi on his own defending the singles title against his trainee, Yuya Aoki, who I'm not too familiar with, but I loved it. It was it was um, a proper blend of King's Road and Strong Style, which is often something that Japanese main event style matches strive for, but I don't think carry it off as much as they intend to, because sometimes it goes too King's Road where it's too epic. Sometimes it's too Strong Style where it's just strike exchange, strike exchange, strike exchange, and you're like, come on, can there be a bit more structure here? Whereas in this case, perfect blend between two men who know how to hit each other very hard, but also know how to tell a good story, crucially. One of the stories in this match, because there were several, <clears throat> one of the stories here was avoid that splash because Yuji Okabayashi kept going for a big splash off the top, which I've seen end matches of his before. Um, so Yuya Aoki was not going to get caught by that and had to avoid it. That was a good little threat of the match. Also a fighting spirit exchange where they're both no, not no-selling, <clears throat> suplexes, but fighting through to their feet and then hitting a suplex of their own and then like selling afterwards, like both men are down. I, I like these exchanges as long as they are few and far between and both men sell the effects of powering through the pain immediately afterwards, which they did here. Um, it really just was an awesome match and proves as well given that Okabayashi is not the youngest and not the most nimble, that you don't have to be the quickest or the most agile or the most energetic to have an amazing match. Um, because it wasn't like his trainee was carrying him here. He led the match and made Yuya earn it. And uh, it, it led to some very compelling action, I have to say. Big Japan is the best, in my opinion. <laughs> um, now we head to DDT. For the final of the King of DDT 2023 tournament, which featured Kazusada Higuchi, who's like this scary ass kicker, um, taking on Chris Brooks of the UK. This is probably like the crowning moment of Chris Brooks's career in Japan so far. And it was odd. <clears throat> How do I say this? It was odd seeing Brooks in this kind of match and this sort of situation and having this sort of victory. Because I'm so used to him being like, in the UK scene, he was like primarily a tag wrestler, I guess, but also did single stuff. But he's like a hipster guy. He's, he's, he often trolls the crowd. He'd rather have a match often like highly stylized or even silly rather than like a big epic match like this one. So this is like the most, um, this is the most kind of, how do I say this? The most kind of match quality type match I've ever seen him have, if that makes sense. And it worked. Maybe because I'm not used to seeing him in that environment, but the performance has made it work as well. Um, like, Higuchi now has a shaven head, which makes him even more scary. And they really battered each other. There was, oh, to be fair, there was a spot early on when Higuchi just did one of the most stupid shoot headbutts on Brooks I've ever seen and busted him open. I think he may have bladed afterwards, but even if he, if the headbutt caused the bleeding or not, it was a stupid headbutt, and you heard the connection, and it was just sickening. I wouldn't advise that. But I loved the rest of the match. It was great. And also, Brooks ultimately won and had this big, like, triumphant emotional moment, which I found quite crazy. It's like, I, I've not followed his career as close as some others will have, but it was just weird seeing him, like, have this big triumphant, non-ironic moment in the sun. It was great to see, to be fair. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not, indeed? Um, great work from both men. 
if it hadn't been such a stacked month, I think I'd have probably placed it higher on the on my eventual top ten, which you'll hear than I than I ended up doing. But um, that doesn't. I don't mean to take away from the quality of the match at all in doing so, because I still thought it was really enjoyable. The final match I want to talk about before I get on to my top 10 of May and then my overall top 10 of 2023 so far was from Noah Sunny Voyage, which was a 45-minute time limit draw between Katsuhiko Nakajima and Keno. Two wrestlers I've mentioned already on wrestlers of the on matches of the month, excuse me. Um, this was unique, and there'll be certain people who thought this was like the best match of the year so far. It wasn't really for me. I, I enjoyed it for what it was to an extent, but... It was long and grueling and felt largely improvised. There were obviously like a few big moments that they worked around or worked towards, but a lot of this match felt to me like stalling. Now, other people might argue that it wasn't stalling. It was replicating real ebbs and flows in a professional combat sort of contest, which I do understand, but it doesn't change the fact for me that it, it was 45 minutes of a lot of like rolling out the ring to get away or just striking each other with neither man <laughs> selling it. Well, no, they were selling. That's wrong. I shouldn't say that. They were selling, but it didn't go anywhere. They'd batter each other, do a few moves, stare at each other, batter each other again. And I guess it felt more real and more legit than a lot of matches, but as a compelling story, I wasn't carried through it as smoothly as maybe I would have liked to have been. However, as I say, your mileage may vary. You might absolutely love this match. So I thought that was worth mentioning as a recommendation just for people whose taste may differ. Because I didn't personally like it as much as others will, but I seem to be in the minority because it's got a very, I think it's got a very high cage match rating actually as we speak. Um, but yeah, 45 minute time limit draw. Their previous singles match, I had a look at this in 2021, was a 60 minute time limit draw. So we may not have seen the end of this pairing yet. And with all that said, I guess all that's left to do is recap my top 10. So here we go. Here are my top 10 matches of May. In at number 10, we'll have Chris Brooks versus Kazusada Higuchi in the King of DDT final. Uh, number 9, Hiromu Takahashi versus Mike Bailey, best of the Super Juniors. Number 8, the Impact World title match, Steve Macklin defending against PCO. Number 7, I've put it quite high, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, a sleeper hit of a match in Saudi Arabia, Gunter versus Mustafa Ali. Number 6, back to the best of the Super Juniors, El Desperado against Francesco Akira. Number 5, Mike Bailey versus Leo Rush. Highly stylized, not for everyone, I certainly loved it. Number 4, the best of the Super Juniors final, Master Watto versus Titan. Number three, again, some might think I've put this quite high. I really enjoyed it. AW World title match, Fatal 4-Way, MJF versus Sammy versus Darby versus Jungle. Jungle Jack. Jungle Jack Perry. Number two, D uh, where am I? Number two, Jack. There we go. Versus Ilya Dragunov in NXT Battleground. A wonderful slice of punishment. And finally, number one for my new favorite promotion ever, Big Japan Wrestling title match, Yuji Okabayashi versus Yuya Aoki. Um, now let's talk about my overall top 10 uh, and see where they fit. As I mentioned at the start of this podcast episode, it's going to be hard to crack that top 10 as the months go on. And that proved to be the case here because even though we've had one of the best, ma uh, best months of the year so far in terms of consistent quality and the range of quality, only two matches have cracked the top 10. And it's in 10th and 9th place as well. Number 10 is now Dijak versus Dragono. Number 9 is now Okabayashi versus Aoki from Big Japan. Number 8, Shingo Takagi versus Taichi in that kind of triad rules match kind of thing that Shingo's been doing 
Awesome stuff. Number seven, a Lindemann versus Kaido Ishida from Glade back in January. Awesome match. Number six, Azumi versus Starlight Kid. My favorite stardom match of the year so far. And I think my favorite women's match as well. Number five, Ring of Honor World title defense of Claudio Castagnoli taking on his nemesis, Eddie Kingston. Number four, All Japan tag team epic action. Kenta Miyahara and Takuya Nomura taking on Yuma Ayagi and Naoya Nomura. Um, number three, the Usos versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, WrestleMania Night 1, main event. Number two, Wrestle Kingdom, Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega. And number one, WrestleMania Night what Night 2? Did I say Night 1 for the Usos match? If I said it before, that, that Usos one was from Night 1. This was from Night 2. Gunter versus Sheamus versus Drew McIntyre. And that is currently my match of the year so far. So there you have it. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Matches of the Month. My name is Jack. You can find me on Twitter at JackTheJobber. Let me know what you thought of anything in this show so far. Recommend matches that you want me to see. And I'll see you at the end of June. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 